Lords of the Housetops, Thirteen Cat Tales, Madame Jolicoeur's Cat by Thomas A. Janvier. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Golding. Madame Jolicoeur's Cat by Thomas A. Janvier. Part One. Being somewhat of an age, and a widow of dignity, the late Monsieur Jolicoeur has held the responsible position under government of Ingénieur des Ponts et Chaussées. Yet being also of a provocatively fresh plumpness, and a Marseillaise, it was of necessity that Madame Veuve Jolicoeur, on being left lonely in the world, save for the companionship of her adored Shah de Perse, should entertain expectations of the future that were antipodal and antagonistic. On the one hand, of an austere life, suitable to a widow of a reasonable maturity and of an assured position. On the other hand, of a life not austere, suitable to a widow still of a provocatively fresh plumpness, and by birth a Marseillaise. Had Madame Jolicoeur possessed a severe temperament and a resolute mind, possessions inherently improbable in view of her birthplace, she would have made her choice between these equally possible futures with a promptness and with a finality that would have left nothing at loose ends. So endowed, she would have emphasised her not excessive age by a slightly excessive gravity of dress and of deportment and would have adorned it and her dignified widowhood by becoming devote, and thereafter clinging with a modest ostentation only to her piety, would have radiated as time made its marches an always increasingly exemplary grace. But as Madame Jolicoeur did not possess a temperament that even bordered on severity, and as her mind was a thought that made itself up in at least twenty different directions in a single moment, as she was, in short, an entirely typical and therefore an entirely delightful Provençal, the situation was so much too much for her that, by the process of formulating a great variety of irreconcilable conclusions, she left everything at loose ends by not making any choice at all. In effect, she simply stood attendant upon what the future had in store for her, and meanwhile avowedly clung only, in default of piety, to her adored Shah de Perse, to whom was given, as she declared in disconsolate negligence of her still provocatively fresh plumpness, all of the bestowable affection that remained in the devastated recesses of her withered heart. To preclude any possibility of compromising misunderstanding, it is but just to Madame Jolicoeur to explain at once that the personage thus in receipt of the contingent remainder of her blighted affections, far from being, as his name would suggest, an oriental potentate temporarily domiciled in Marseille, to whom she had taken something more than a passing fancy, was a Persian superb black cat 
and a cat of such rare excellencies of character and of acquirements as fully to deserve all of the affection that any heart of the right sort, withered or otherwise, was disposed to bestow upon him. Cats of his perfect beauty, of his perfect grace, possibly might be found, Madame Jolicoeur grudgingly admitted, in the Persian royal catteries, but nowhere else in the Orient, and nowhere at all in the Occident, she declared with an energetic conviction, possibly could there be found a cat who even approached him in intellectual development, in wealth of interesting accomplishments, and, above all, in natural sweetness of disposition a sweetness so marked that even under extreme provocation he never had been known to thrust out an angry paw. That is not to say that the Shah de Perse was a characterless cat, a lymphatic non-entity. On occasion, usually in connection with food that was distasteful to him, he could have his resentments, but they were manifested always with a dignified restraint. His nearest approach to ill-mannered abruptness was to bat with a contemptuous paw the offending morsel from his plate, which brusque act he followed by fixing upon the bestower of unworthy food a coldly, but always politely, contemptuous stare. Ordinarily, however, his displeasure in the matter of unsuitable food, or in other matters, was exhibited by no more overt action than his retirement to a corner. He had his choices in corners, governed by the intensity of his feelings, and there seating himself with his back turned scornfully to an offending world. Even in his kindliest corner, on such occasions, the expression of his scornful back was as a whole volume of winged words. But the rare little cat tantrums of the Shah de Perse, if to his so gentle excesses may be applied so strong a term, were but as sunspots on the effulgence of his otherwise constant amiability. His regnant desires, by which his worthy little life was governed, were to love and to please. He was the most cuddlesome cat, Madame Jolicoeur unhesitatingly asserted that ever had lived, and he had a purr, softly thunderous and winningly affectionate, that was in keeping with his cuddlesome ways. When, of his own volition, he would jump into her abundant lap and go to burrowing with his little soft round head beneath her soft round elbows, the while gurglingly purring forth his love for her, Madame Jolicoeur, quite justifiably, at times was moved to tears. Equally was his sweet nature exhibited in his always eager willingness to show off his little train of cat accomplishments. He would give his paw with a courteous grace to any lady or gentleman, he drew the cast line rigidly, who asked for it. For his mistress, he would spring to a considerable height, and clutch with his two soft paws, never by any mistake scratching, her outstretched wrist, 
and so would remain suspended while he delicately nibbled from between her fingers her edible offering. For her, he would make an almost painfully real pretense of being a dead cat, extending himself upon the rug with an exaggeratedly death-like rigidity, and so remaining until her command to be alive again brought him briskly to rub himself rising on his hind legs and purring mellowly against her comfortable knees. All of these interesting tricks, with various others that may be passed over, he would perform with a lively zest whenever set at them by a mere word of prompting. But his most notable trick was a game in which he engaged with his mistress, not at word of command, but, such was his intelligence, simply upon her setting the signal for it. The signal was a close-fitting white cap, to be quite frank a nightcap, that she tied upon her head when it was desired that the game should be played. It was of the game that Madame Jolicoeur should assume her cap with an air of detachment and aloofness, as though no such entity as the Chat de Perse existed, and with an insisted-upon disregard of the fact that he was watching her alertly with his great golden eyes. Equally was it of the game that the Chat de Perse should affect, save for his alert watching, a like disregard of the doings of Madame Jolicoeur, usually by an ostentatious pretense of washing his upraised hind leg, or by a like pretense of scrubbing his ears. These conventions duly having been observed, Madame Jolicoeur would seat herself in her especial easy chair, above the relatively high back of which her night-capped head a little rose. Being so seated, always with the air of aloofness and detachment, she would take a book from the table and make a show of becoming absorbed in its contents. Matters being thus advanced, the Shah de Perse would make a show of becoming absorbed in searchings for an imaginary mouse, but so would conduct his fictitious quest for that supposititious animal, as eventually to achieve for himself a strategic position close behind Madame Jolicoeur's chair. Then, dramatically, the pleasing end of the game would come as the Shah de Perse, leaping with the distinguishing grace and lightness of his Persian race, would flash upward and surprise Madame Jolicoeur by crowning her white-capped head with his small black person, all a-shake with triumphant purrs. It was a charming little comedy, and so well understood by the Shah de Perse that he never ventured to essay it under other and more intimate conditions of nightcap use, even as he never failed to engage in it with spirit when his white lure properly was set for him above the back of Madame Jolicoeur's chair. It was as though to the Shah de Perse the white nightcap of Madame Jolicoeur, displayed in accordance with the rules of the game, were an oriflamme, akin to, but in minor points differing from, the helmet of Navarre. Being such a cat, it will be perceived that Madame Jolicoeur had reason in her avowed intention to bestow upon him 
all of the bestowable affection remnant in her withered heart's devastated recesses and equally that she would not be wholly desolate having such a cat to comfort her while standing impartially attendant upon the decrees of fate to assert that any woman not conspicuously old and quite conspicuously of a fresh plumpness could be left in any city isolate save for a cat's company while the fates were spinning new threads for her would be to put a severe strain upon credulity to make that assertion specifically of madame jolicoeur and specifically of all the cities in the world of marseilles would be to strain credulity fairly to the breaking point on the other hand to assert that madame jolicoeur in defence of her isolation was disposed to plant machine-guns in the doorway of her dwelling a house of modest elegance on the pave d'amour at the crossing of the rue Bosset, would be to go too far nor indeed aside from the fact that the presence of such engines of destruction would not have been tolerated by the other residents of the quietly respectable pave d'amour was madame jolicoeur herself as has been intimated temperamentally inclined to go to such lengths as machine-guns in maintenance of her somewhat waveringly desired privacy in a merely cat-enlivened solitude between these widely separated extremes of conjectural possibility lay the immediate truth of the matter which truth thus resembling precious gold in its valueless rock matrix lay embedded in and was to be extracted from the irresponsible utterances of the double row of loosely hung tongues always at hot wagging ranged along the two sides of the rue Bosset. madame jouval a milliner of repute delivering herself with the generosity due to a good customer from whom an order for a trousseau was a not unremote possibility yet with the acumen perfected by her professional experiences summed her views of the situation in talk with madame vic proprietor of the vic bakery in these words it is of the convenance and equally is it of her own melancholy necessities that this poor madame retires for a season to sorrow in a suitable seclusion in the company of her sympathetic cat only in such retreat can she give vent fitly to her desolating grief but after storm comes sunshine and i am happily assured by her less despairing appearance and by the new mourning that i have been making for her that even now from the bottomless depths of her affliction she looks beyond the storm i well believe it snapped madame vic that the appearance of madame jolicoeur at any time has been despairing is a matter that has escaped my notice as to the mourning that she now wears it is a defiance of all propriety why with no more than that of colour in her frock madame vic upheld her thumb and finger infinitesimally separated and with a mere 
pinpoint of a flower in her bonnet, she would be fit for the opera. Madame Vic spoke with a caustic bitterness that had its roots. Her own venture in second marriage had been catastrophic, so catastrophic that her neglected bakery had gone very much to the bad. Still more closely to the point, Madame Jolicoeur, incident to finding entomologic specimens misplaced in her breakfast rolls, had taken the leading part in an interchange of incivilities with the bakery's proprietor, and had withdrawn from it her custom. "'And even were her mornings not a flouting of her short year of widowhood,' continued Madame Vic, with an acrimony that abbreviated the term of widowhood most unfairly, the scores of eligible suitors who openly come streaming to her door and are welcomed there are as trumpets proclaiming her audacious intentions and her indecorous desires. Even Monsieur Brisson is in that outrageous procession. Is it not enough that she should entice a repulsively bald-headed notary and an old rake of a major to make their brazen advances? without suffering this anatomy of a pharmacien to come treading on their heels, he with his hands imbrued in the life-blood of the unhappy old woman whom his mismade prescription sent in agony to the tomb. <laughs> I have no patience with her. She and her grief and her seclusion and her sympathetic cat, indeed. It all is a tragedy of indiscretion, that shaped itself as a revolting farce. It will be observed that Madame Vic, in framing her bill of particulars, practically reduced her alleged scores of Madame Jolicoeur's suitors to precisely two, since the bad third was handicapped so heavily by that notorious matter of the mismade prescription as to be a negligible quantity quite out of the race. Indeed, it was only the preposterous temerity of Monsieur Brisson, despairingly clutching at any chance to retrieve his broken fortunes, that put him in the running at all. With the others, in such slighting terms referred to by Madame Vic, Monsieur Peloux, a notary of standing, and the Major Gontard of the twenty-ninth of the line, the case was different. It had its sides. That this worthy lady reasonably may desire again to wed, declared Monsieur Fromagin, actual proprietor of the Epicerie Russe, an establishment liberally patronized by Madame Jolicoeur, is as true as that when she goes to make her choosings between these estimable gentlemen, she cannot make a choice that is wrong. Madame Gautier, a clear starcher of position, to whom Monsieur Fromagin thus addressed himself, was less broadly positive. That is a matter of opinion, she answered, and added, to go no further than the very beginning, Monsieur should perceive that her choice has exactly fifty chances in the hundred of going wrong, lying as it does between a meagre, sallow-faced creature of a death-white baldness, and a fine, big pattern of a man, strong and ruddy with a close-clipped but abundant thatch on his head, and a moustache that admittedly is superb. 
ah there speaks the woman said monsieur fromagin with a patronizing smile distinctly irritating madame will recognize if she will but bring herself to look a little beyond the mere outside that what i have advanced is not a matter of opinion but a fact observe here is monsieur peloux to whose trifling leanness and aristocratic baldness the thoughtful give no attention easily a notary in the very first rank as we all know his services are sought in cases of the most exigent importance for example interrupted madame gautier the case of the insurance solicitor in whose countless defraudings my own brother was a sufferer a creature of a vileness whose deserts were unnumbered ages of dungeons and who thanks to the chicaneries of monsieur peloux at this moment walks free as air it is of the professional duty of advocates replied monsieur fromagin sententiously to defend their clients on the successful discharge of that duty irrespective of minor details depends their fame madame neglects the fact that monsieur peloux by his masterly conduct of the case that she specifies won for himself from his legal colleagues an immense applause the more shame to his legal colleagues commented madame gautier curtly but leaving that affair quite aside continued monsieur fromagin airily but with insistence here is this notable advocate who reposes his important homages at madame jolicoeur's feet he a man of an age that is suitable without being excessive who has in the community an assured position whose more than moderate wealth is known i insist therefore that should she accept his homages she would do well and i insist declared madame gautier stoutly that should she turn her back upon the major gontard she would do most ill madame a little disregards my premises monsieur fromagin spoke in a tone of forbearance and therefore a little argues it is the privilege of her sex against the air distinctly i do not exclude from madame jolicoeur's choice that gallant major whose rank now approaching him to the command of a regiment and fairly equalling the position at the bar achieved by monsieur peloux has been won grade by grade by deeds of valour in his african campaignings which have made him conspicuous even in the army that stands first in such matters of all the armies of the world moreover although admittedly in that way monsieur peloux makes a better showing he is of an easy affluence on the camargue he has his excellent estate and vines from which comes a revenue more than sufficing to satisfy more than modest wants at les martigues he has his charming coquette villa smothered in the flowers of his own planting to which at present he makes his agreeable escapes from his military duties and in which when his retreat is taken he will pass softly his sunset years with these substantial points in his favour the standing of the major gontard in this matter practically is of a parity with the standing of monsieur peloux 
equally both are worthy of madame jolicoeur's consideration both being able to continue her in the life of elegant comfort to which she is accustomed and both being on a social plane it is of her level accurately to which the widow of an ingenieur des ponts et chaussées neither steps up nor steps down having now made clear i trust my reasonings i repeat the proposition with which madame took issue when madame jolicoeur goes to make her choosings between these estimable gentlemen she cannot make a choice that is wrong and i repeat monsieur said madame gautier lifting her basket from the counter that in making her choosings madame jolicoeur either goes to raise herself to the heights of a matured happiness or to plunge herself into bald-headed abysses of despair yes monsieur that far apart are her choosings and madame gautier added in communion with herself as she passed to the street with her basket as for me it would be that adorable major by a thousand times as was of reason since hers was the first place in the matter madame jolicoeur herself carried on debatings in the portion of her heart that had escaped complete devastation identical in essence with the debatings of her case which went up and down the rue Bosset not having become devote in the year and more of opportunity open to her for a turn in that direction one horn of her original dilemma had been eliminated so to say by atrophy being neglected it had withered with the practical result that out of her very indecisions had come a decisive choice but to her new dilemma of which the horns were the major and the notary in the privacy of her secret thoughts she made no bones of admitting that this dilemma confronted her the atrophying process was not applicable at least not until it could be applied with a sharp finality too long dallied with it very well might lead to the atrophy of both of them in dudgeon and thence onward conceivably to her being left to cling only to the Shah de Perse for all the remainder of her days. Therefore, to the avoidance of that too radical conclusion, Madame Jolicoeur engaged in her debatings briskly, offering to herself, in effect, the balanced arguments advanced by Monsieur Fromagin in favour equally of Monsieur Pelou and of the Major Gontard taking as her own with moderating exceptions and emendations the views of madame gautier as to the meagreness and pallid baldness of the one and the sturdiness and gallant bearing of the other considering from the standpoint of her own personal knowledge in the premises the notary's disposition toward a secretive reticence that bordered upon severity in contrast with the cordially frank and debonair temperament of the major and at the back of all keeping well in mind the fundamental truths that opportunity ever is evanescent and that time ever is on the wing as the result of her debatings and not less as the result of experience gained in her earlier campaigning 
Madame Jolicoeur took up a strategic position, nicely calculated to inflame the desire for, by assuming the uselessness of, an assault. In set terms, confirming particularly her earlier and more general avowal, she declared equally to the major and to the notary that absolutely the whole of her bestowable affection, of the remnant in her withered heart available for distribution, was bestowed upon the Shah de Perse, and so, with an alluring nonchalance, left them to draw the logical conclusion that their strivings to win that desirable quantity were idle, since a definite disposition of it already had been made. The reply of the Major Gontard to this declaration was in keeping with his known amiability, but also was in keeping with his military habit of command. Assuredly, he said, Madame shall continue to bestow, within reason, her affections upon Monsieur le Chat, and with them that brave animal, he is a cat of ten thousand, shall have my affections as well already knowing my feeling for him we are friends as madame shall see to her own convincing addressing himself in tones of kindly persuasion to the shah de perse he added viens monsieur whereupon the shah de perse instantly jumped himself to the major's knee and broke forth in response to a savant rubbing of his soft little jowls into his gurgling purr Voila, madame, continued the major, it is to be perceived that we have our good understandings, the Shah de Perse and I. That we all shall live happily together tells itself without words. But observe. Of a sudden, the voice of the major thrilled with a deep earnestness, and his style of address changed to a familiarity that only the intensity of his feeling condoned. I am resolved that to me above all shall be given thy dear affections. Thou shalt give me the perfect flower of them, of that fact rest thou assured. In thy heart I am to be the very first, even as in my heart thou thyself art the very first of all the world. In Africa, I have had my successes in my conquests and holdings of fortresses. Believe me, I shall have an equal success in conquering and in holding the sweetest fortress in France. Certainly the Major Gontard had a bold way with him, but that it had its attractions, not to say its compellings, Madame Jolicoeur could not honestly deny. On the part of the notary, whose disposition, fostered by his profession, was towards subtlety rather than toward boldness, Madame Jolicoeur's declaration of cat rights was received with no such belligerent blare of trumpets and beat of drums. He met it with a light show of banter, beneath which, to come to the surface later, lay hidden dark thoughts. Madame makes an excellent pleasantry, he said with a smile of the blandest. 
without doubt not a very flattering pleasantry but i know that her denial of me in favour of her cat is but a jesting at which we both may laugh and we may laugh together the better because in the roots of her jesting we have our sympathies i also have an intensity of affection for cats uh, to be just to monsieur pelou who loathed cats it must be said that he gulped as he made this flagrantly untruthful statement and with this admirable cat so dear to madame it goes to make itself that we speedily become enduring friends curiously enough a mere coincidence of course as the notary uttered these words so sharply at points with veracity in the very moment of them the chat de perse stiffly retired into his sulkiest corner and turned what had every appearance of being a scornful back upon the world judiciously ignoring this inopportunely equivocal incident monsieur pelou reverted to the matter in chief and concluded his deliverance in these words i well understand i repeat that madame for the moment makes a comedy of herself and of her cat for my amusing but i persuade myself that her droll fancyings will not be lasting and that she will be serious with me in the end until then and then most of all i am at her feet humbly an unworthy but a very earnest suppliant for her good will should she have the cruelty to refuse my supplication it will remain with me to die in an unmerited despair certainly this was an appeal of a sort but even without perceiving the mitigating subtlety of its cumulative final clause so skilfully worded as to leave monsieur pelou free to bring off his threatened unmeritedly despairing death quite at his own convenience madame jolicoeur did not find it satisfying in contrast with the major gontard's ringingly audacious declarations of his habits in dealing with fortresses she felt that it lacked force and also this of course was a sheer weakness she permitted herself to be influenced appreciably by the indicated preferences of the Shah de perse who had jumped to the knee of the major with an affectionate alacrity and who undeniably had turned on the notary either by chance or by intention a back of scorn as the general outcome of these several developments madame jolicoeur's debatings came to have in them if i so may state the trend of her mental activities fewer bald heads and more moustaches and her never severely set purpose to abide in a loneliness relieved only by the chat de perse was abandoned root and branch End of part one of Madame Jolicoeur's Cat